when you're growing something and it takes a number of days, weeks to get to fruition, then you've got a very different challenge in terms of forecasting and predicting. However, the predictability and forecastability of virtual farming is something that is really valuable for the end customer. People want certainty in this world. It's uncertainty that makes business really difficult, and vertical farming has a big benefit there. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast. Here it is, season nine. Regular and patient listeners, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for supporting the show and being a champion for everything we're doing here. If this is your first time listening, Thank you. You're getting a big virtual hug from me. You're in the right place. This is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world since 2020. I can't believe it's been that long. Wild. I'm your host, Harry Duran, podcasting since 2014 with my first show, Podcast Junkies, founder of Fullcast, our full-service podcast agency. As I mentioned, we're back with a new round of fantastic guests with some fantastic sponsors, one of which you heard at the beginning of this show, AgTech Marketing Team. And I couldn't be more excited to get back in the saddle and share these fantastic and inspiring stories. Hopefully you had a chance to catch up on past episodes you may have missed. I won't feel bad if you need to listen to them at 2x speed, which is something that I tend to do sometimes when I'm listening to podcast episodes. I've been hearing a lot of good feedback from folks that have been listening, new folks listening, guests that I've interviewed who've mentioned that they've gone through the back catalog. All of that warms my heart. So please spread the word if you are enjoying this show as well. We shared a couple of past episodes during the hiatus, a conversation with Michael Ciccienza and a conversation with Christine Zimmerman Lossel, which were two of our most popular episodes from the back catalog. There's a ton more we probably will share during the next break between seasons, but I'm really excited to get these new episodes out to you. As a bit of a sneak peek, in case you missed it from the last episode of season eight, we've got conversations coming up with Mary Catherine Scala of Freight to Plate, Lottie Van Rien of Sirthon, Robin Vincent of Kenobi Tech, Ralph Weir of Zindu, Tinia Pina of Renewable, Skytrees, Rob Van Stratton, Neda Vasegi of Microclimates, and several more that are scheduled. As you can see, I've been very busy during the break and making sure we get these episodes recorded, scheduled, published, so that we have content ready and waiting for you. And this season nine slate is filling up rapidly, and I'm excited to share their stories with you. I'm excited to kick off season nine with Nick Bateman, executive chairman at Gropura. We talk about the recent challenges in the vertical farming space with an eye towards the challenges recently around funding. You'll also learn how his team's groundbreaking technology is making strides thanks to its cost-saving benefits two years ahead of other vertical farming companies. You'll hear from Nick about the importance of forging the right partnerships and the role they play in our collective journey towards a more sustainable future. I couldn't think of a better guest to kick off season nine. New season, fresh start. If you've enjoyed any of the past seasons, any of the past episodes, I would love it tremendously if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing would please me more than to read yours out next. Remember, these episodes are always chock full of great takeaways. And as a listener, I want you to focus all your energy on our conversation. So don't worry too much about jotting down and taking any notes. 
Rest assured, you can always visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com to read the full show notes for each episode, and it'll include all the guest links as well. Okay, I think you've heard enough from me. Before we get into this inspiring conversation with Nick, here are a few words from the folks that support this show and some new partners we're excited to be working with. This episode is brought to you by Horty Agri Next, November 20th to the 22nd. In this first edition of the conference, you can expect a vibrant show that'll bring together a portfolio of high-level horticulture technology to the Emirates with the goal of aiding the Emirates to take the next step in becoming more self-sufficient in their food production, aligning with their 2051 goals. The show is expecting eight to 10,000 visitors over the three days and will include investors, buyers, curious farmers, government officials, university professors, and association members. Booths are still available and exhibitors are welcome. Partners for the conference include the Abu Dhabi Agriculture and Food Safety Authority, Dutch Greenhouse Delta, and Wageningen University which will provide a wealth of knowledge and insight. Sessions will include a mix of Emirati and Dutch speakers and will highlight how these different worlds will come together in partnership. Based in Abu Dhabi, the agricultural hub of the UAE, the government's involvement will ensure that companies interested in partnering with the Emirates receive their full support. Co-located with VIV MEA 2023, the premier show in livestock production and animal husbandry, this week will provide a comprehensive look at the entire ag industry supply chain both vertically and horizontally. If you're considering container farming, then look no further than Farm Anywhere. Astute listeners will recognize the name from my conversation on episode 99 with Gabriel Zarafanitis. Farm Anywhere is renowned for their state-of-the-art container farms and complementary agricultural equipment, which guarantees a robust start to your indoor farming venture. Even better, Farm Anywhere is providing a discount exclusively to listeners of this show. A $5,000 reduction in delivery fees, no monthly subscription charges, and many other benefits. To take advantage of this special offer, visit farmanywhere.ag forward slash VFP. I've been excited about the work the team is doing at Farm Anywhere since my conversation with Gabriel, and this is a fantastic offer you should take advantage of if it's a fit for you. The link again, farmanywhere.ag forward slash VFP. So Nick Bateman, Executive Chairman at Group Pura, thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you. For the benefit of the listener, where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from the United Kingdom okay. in the north of England. And were you born and raised there? No, I was born in the Midlands and have moved around the UK a lot. I've worked over okay. in the USA for a period. And we founded the company back in 2012. And then in those days, it was based in Cornwall in England. It's now relocated to Bedford in the middle of the UK. What part of the US did you spend some time in? I worked I worked in Houston in Texas okay. Okay. and also in Wilmington in Delaware. Okay. Two different completely different states with completely different culture. <laughs> oh well well I worked for the same company. It was okay. I worked for ICI Americas. Okay. And their headquarters are Wilmington. And we weren't actually working in the oil industry, but so why we end up in Houston, I'm not entirely sure, but we were based on dealing with software to help uh, improve energy performance of business. Okay. Was there any culture shock when you first arrived here in the States? I actually liked the culture in Texas. I thought that was really good. Okay. And it was a bit more staid in Wilmington, you understand. Yeah. Um, but Texas was a really open community. It was really good doing business down there. Yeah. For most of your career, if people were to ask you what you thought you'd be working in when you left university and what the majority of your career has been like prior to working in the ag tech space, 
what would you say mo- most of your career has been spent in? Most of my career has been spent in high-tech business, probably from 1985 to date, which is quite a long time, and with a period both in life sciences and in food, different experiences in food. When I started in the financial world, in banking, and when I started, I thought I would have stayed in banking, and but I found industry more challenging, more interesting, and I ended up working for ICI and then Zeneca, AstraZeneca, and working on the biotech side. And the biotech side has influenced how I've thought about vertical farming in particular. So when I came to across vertical farming back in 2011, I thought that it would be a great opportunity to make a big impact on the issue of population growth and issues of the ability to provide the right amount of food and the right quality of food to people. All of that has changed since that time. And I looked at, so that's what we started out thinking about when we decided to develop our own technology. And then with my background in bioscience, I thought, well, plants actually can actually be more helpful in the world than just provide food. So very interested in using plants for in the medical, healthcare, cosmetics, nutraceuticals types of activity. And so we've developed technology that enables us to do those wide variety of things. And the background in when I worked in, in ICI and AstraZeneca, we had a business which we worked on and I worked on for over 10 years, which is a food product called Corn, which is made by continuous sterile fermentation. And this is effectively about a clean growing activity. And so when I started work in Gropura or founded Gropura, shortly after getting involved in that sector, I realized that this was not the cleanest sector I've ever come across. And certainly soil is not clean. And growing hydroponically, which isn't grown in soil, helps enormously. But you still need to actually protect against pests, flying pests and ground pests and all sorts of things. And so we decided early on that we would develop a technology based on clean room technology. And then we realized that clean room technology helps you in terms of most food products that are eaten raw need to be washed, often washed in things like chlorine, yeah. which is not a nice chemical. And so we decided to set up a clean room facility and I think that the cost of a clean room facility, because you avoid the need to use chlorine washing and other methods for food products, some food products, not all food products, then that has actually proved beneficial. Because if you have to wash things in a chlorine bath of some kind, and then you have to dry the product, and you dry it by spinning it at an incredible pace, a lot faster than a salad spinner that we do at home. When you do that, it makes an enormous impact on the shelf life of the product because you're damaging the leaf. And so the shelf life of these products is actually quite small. And so people have tried to avoid that problem by selling products unwashed. You must wash before use. The only problem with that kind of approach is that most of us are don't read everything that's said on the label. Correct. When you open the bag, 
it looks as if it's the kind of thing you just throw on the plate and you eat it. And because that isn't clean, you could end up with a nasty, well, you could die if you're really unlucky, but you could end up with a nasty stomach upset or something like that. And so our approach ends up with a much longer shelf life for people and it gives you the confidence to produce these other products I mentioned earlier, like things to do with the pharmaceutical industry, whether they be vaccines or other technology. So that's what we're about. So, Nick, when you got started in, in, with uh, Gropura in 2011, you said, I think, was when you first um, was seeing everything that was happening in the vertical sparring space. Given that I've been involved in the industry for about three years now, but it's really early days, and I'm wondering what it is that you saw or what it is that interested you about moving into what I imagine was an unproven technology with a lot of variables. You've been in enough cycles to see dot-com boosts, tech boosts, finance ups and downs, and so you've had that experience also to be able to discern what is a trend, what is a fad, or what is something that's going to have stability and what's going to have legs. So I'm curious, because of your extensive experience in industry, what you saw specifically about vertical farming that attracted you and had you feel like this was an important opportunity? So I think it was the scale. So food is a phenomenally large industry worldwide. And the fact that this problem is one that, you know, the world population is going to grow by roughly 2 billion to 10 billion by 2050 or thereabouts. And these are not my numbers, but other people say that the growth in food required to be grown is going to be grown, is going to increase by 56%. I then concluded that actually, if you're going to increase the demand to that extent, you will eventually end up with food having a better price structure. That's what I thought at the time, a better price structure than it does at the present, which is very commodity based and it's always great so saw a very very large market opportunity and felt that the existing the existing businesses the existing farmers growers whatever they can't increase production to that extent so that's what i saw and that's why because i thought it was a growth industry because i thought the price cost dynamics would improve i thought that technology like vertical farming would have more stable costs wouldn't be subject to the vagaries that you have with outdoor growing, which is you have so many good years, so many bad years. And actually in today's world, the number of good years is reducing in comparison to the number of bad years. Yeah. And so I think vertical farming is definitely really important. But I probably underestimated the technical challenge. I came from high-tech industries, worked in software on drug discovery, and in the life sciences sector. And there the technologies would appear to be a lot more complicated than growing food, growing lettuces or kale or kohlrabi or whatever. So I underestimated the fact that the industry we were moving into was one where they were not used to all these particular elements. Mm -hmm. And it is putting all these elements together that is novel. And so we work closely with large world-renowned partners, for example, Siemens. Yeah. And we found out that a lot of companies around the world are fantastic at what they do, but they're not all used to having to deal with automation and a growing food crop. This is, you know, when you have a factory and you, you send your bottle of milk down a factory, it comes in on day X 
and the same day you process it and it's on your and my table the next day. This is fast process. When you're growing something and it takes a number of days, weeks, to get to fruition, then you've got a very different challenge in terms of forecasting and predicting. However, the predictability and forecastability of virtual farming is something that is really valuable for the end customer. I'm not talking about the consumer, but the retailer and the caterer and the manufacturer. These things, people want certainty in this world. It's uncertainty that makes business really difficult. And vertical farming has a big benefit there. And, And I would say our technology is exceptionally good at that because of the flexibility we provide. When you first got started, did you have a co-founder or did you found the company yourself? No, there were three of us. There were three of us. So I was introduced to it by a guy whose career had been in horticulture, providing horticultural services. And he introduced me to vertical farming. And we decided we'd go into that. And I would, with my background, I would provide the ability to raise money to get the venture off the ground. And then we realized we needed an engineer on the team. And so we ended up with three of us, an engineer, my horticultural friend, myself. And uh, we worked together. Those guys worked with our first facility, which was based in Cornwall. And we were testing out a range of things. We were testing out growing 365 days a year in natural, using natural sunlight only and using a different form of building material. And that proved extremely successful. And we sampled our products into many large organizations. And amazingly, we got a 100% response and we were seen by 100% of the companies. So we used, our system is based on conveying. And we used a, in this particular, at the start point, we used a particular form of conveying. And the engineer friend had designed that. And then, unfortunately, there was a problem with the conveying system. And at that point, I then introduced a trade investor. And we decided to move to different premises and introduce different conveying technology, which we developed and enhanced, which is the basis of our current patents. And What what uh, was the driver for making that change? The driver for making the change was... If you're working in a small team, you've got to actually all be pushing and driving at the same speed. And, you know, these things are difficult. Was there a falling out? No, I don't think it was a falling out. But I knew that the business needed to raise more money in order to succeed. And the only way we would raise money was by taking a different stance. So we took on board a horticulturalist, plant scientist of some renown, And she and I then worked actively in the company and the other two founders effectively retired. And we set up a new facility, again in Cornwall, which used a dark building as opposed to and used artificial light, where we tested out a different form of conveying technology. And then we carried on developing the conveying technology with some of our partners. And that's what we've learned is that many people went into vertical farming and My perception was that a lot of people thought it was really straightforward technology. You end up with a static system, with trays, with lights, with trays, with lights, and this is really easy. I don't need a horticulturalist. It's absolutely straightforward. 
it's not quite as easy as that, actually. Yeah. And so we started with the horticultural side, and then we brought in the automation and the sophistication. Okay. And I believe that has, and that has helped us enormously in making sure that actually it is looking after the plant. The plants will end up with the best product, and we've got to make the technology help them, help mimic nature and help them succeed. And yes, of course, you can play different themes on nature because what we now really want is seeds, strains of seeds that work best within the vertical farming environment. One of the early issues we found was that most of the seed companies locally only thought about the UK environment and climate. And actually, it doesn't matter what the UK climate's like, we should think worldwide and think of all those different species. And that is, you know, that's really helped me and been helpful in our formation of our future plans. So we're not a vertical farmer, so I don't know whether you realise that. So we're a technology company developing technology so that people can grow a wider variety of plants for a wider variety of situations. And we're continually developing technology, making it more automated, making it more versatile and making it more well the flexibility of the system is enormous so we run our system so that we save enormous amounts of money operating money on infrastructure and we do that by moving the plants to the watering station and in fact we do have a bedroom so we send the plants to a bedroom and the bedroom means that we can run where the lights are sat, we can run the lights 24 mm. hours a day. So that means we save we save a third of the light fixtures just by having a bedroom. We also save, we also have proven that we can actually run with less lights than a static system, approximately half the number of lights. So effectively, we end up with only a third of the light fixtures that a static system would, would use. So you can see that would have enormous impact in terms of the energy cost and the capital cost of the system. And so these are the kind of things we're continually thinking about how we can make the system different and more beneficial to the grower. Where are you seeing the most improvements technology-wise, having been in the space for such a long period of time? There's been improvements in LEDs, energy efficiency. A lot of companies are helping specifically with that task. But from your perspective, in terms of what where you see the most benefit on a day-to-day basis in terms of how it helps your operations. What has you most excited about technologies that have improved since you started? Well, I mean, you're right, aren't you? You're right. LEDs has been the improvement in LEDs and energy efficiency. Fantastic. I think the really, the big thing from, I think now is the artificial intelligence so that you can learn more and operate the facilities better. I think the second area is the robotics for picking and harvesting crop and automating the whole process. So I think those are the two areas. I think the area that probably will give the longest benefit long term will be to do with seed selection and genetic selection and gene editing of the seed to enable you to deliver different products. And I think the food side of vertical farming is enormous. Because food is enormous, and we've got to we've got to solve the food crisis around the world. That lots of the world, the soil is being eroded or turning into desert, and this is going to make and the climates are becoming less 
acceptable. And so this is going to make people want to move to more acceptable climates. And we're not talking about the odd million of people. We're talking about tens of millions of people are going to want to migrate. So we've got to find a way of growing food close to where people need to live in a great environment and using the water saving the water which is a big issue so i think the other thing then is working on how clever the technology can be enabling people to grow vaccines via plants and other plant production using plants as a factory to produce the crops of the highest the extracts of the crops of the highest quality and so but i think we've got the seed the seed side the robotic side and the artificial intelligence, I think, is the next generation. So you mentioned crops. What was your crop selection when you started, and how has that evolved over time? You did mention plant science, obviously interest from pharma, horticulture. Where have you seen the migration and the evolution in terms of crop selection for indoor farming? I think people have been looking for the highest margin crops, and those quite clearly are leafy greens and herbs. I think that it is highly possible to make attractive returns from many other crops and people are looking at things, you know, fruit, fruits, strawberries, high volume crops. I think that consumers are, they are more demanding now than they were and they're more selective about, about the crops. So so traditionally, you'd think in terms of simple crops like, they're not simple at all, but lettuce, tomato, cucumber, peppers, these are obvious big volume salad crops. But people do actually require more variety. And vertical farming is really suited to doing runs of crops like that. And there are crops with major challenges. You know, tall crops are a challenge. You need to end up with a encouraging them to grow smaller and be more productive smaller. But there are tons of different things going on in the world that make you think about testing out how you can use vertical farming to help with some of the other challenges. So, you know, a simple challenge might be that grape farmers around the world and wine growers are having enormous problems over the quality of their crop and the predictability and all sorts of different things that they are working on. And I think if you're a grower, you think about the world differently than a vertical farmer would be. And so if you think on a macro scale about how you can go about these things, then you can suddenly start to see how you can make enormous savings. So the losses that people make in traditional growing are enormous. And in fact, in fruit and vegetables, the losses are something like 45% of all fruit and vegetables. I've heard it as high as 70% for some crops as well. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is, yeah. And so if you can find, if you can end up with a process where you can cut those losses and you can provide other benefits like you're providing crops where they're needed, you know, we don't all want to transfer goods all around the world all the time. Globalization has been really important, but we've all learned lots of lessons from globalization, especially now. And people need to worry about food security and drug security and all these crops to be dependent upon your particular chips from China or maybe some specialist yeah. equipment from Ukraine. This is not a safe way of going about it. You really need much more 
common uh, range of sources of supply. And vertical farming can give you that because you're not dependent upon the weather. So you're making that dramatic change. And the resources you use, apart from electricity, they're not phenomenally significant. So electricity is a big challenge. Depends where you are in the world. In America, it's less of a problem in the UK. But, you know, renewable energy, if you can find a way of picking up sources of renewable energy, then this makes the process much more acceptable. And I think a lot of farmers who haven't got the dynamics that we've talked about grow purer, a lot of farmers then start to flex their business around energy pricing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And I think you've got to really work harder at finding a solution that enables you to, to use the energy all day and all night because the capital cost of the facilities are so large. Where are you seeing the most promise or what has you most excited in terms of new developments or interest from other businesses or industries in what's possible and maybe where they would traditionally look towards open farming or maybe greenhouses? They're maybe starting to look more at the possibilities of what's available with vertical farming and indoor farming. So I think large corporations are all thinking about global changes. And I've spoken at a number of events and some of the events you listen to the talking about energy saving or energy benefits and you listen to people who are talking about much smaller benefit i can make a five percent improvement absolutely worthwhile having and you must do that but then you think about vertical farming where you can make a dramatic change for some things not everything the challenge is to make it more usable for more crops and then you suddenly start to realize that the larger companies in the world have time to think and the resources to think about how they can impact on the environment. And so they are all starting to think about vertical farming is an opportunity for them because traditional industry is not necessarily going to be the way of the future. And so Tons of companies are investing money or investing money in funds to invest in businesses in vertical farming. They want to keep a, a, an interest in what's going on and to see what their company can do. And so we've had a number of major corporations visit us and look at our facility. And they have gone away and then said, yes, we would like to work with you in this field. And that is extremely encouraging and yeah, I think that's probably all I can say about that, Harry. <laughs> For folks that are new to Grow Pura, how would you explain the current business model, who your a typical client is, who your partners are, and how, if at all, that has transitioned from the time you started the company? That's a big question. So I think I would say that we see our customers as being people who have land or energy and want to make a better return from their land and energy. Existing vertical farmers, especially people who are existing food processors and packers, because we can do the whole thing in one unit. Yeah. And so they should be thinking about that to avoid their chlorine washes and all the other processes and the numerous transport that they use. I think that so when we started, we thought we would have interesting technology and we would be a grower. And then it became clear to us that actually the challenge of continually developing technology meant that the only way you could make that 
a sustainable business and an economic business for us was to widen our customers and the capital cost of keep putting up vertical farms one after the other is a lot of cash. And so we didn't want to go down that route and we watched other parties go down that route. And so we wanted to spend time extending the range. So we would now turn ourselves into a what we would describe as a turnkey solutions provider. Yes, we will also do research for people and consultancy and train people on how to operate a vertical farm. So we do all those range of good consulting things. But we will work with world global partners to deliver turnkey solutions and we will be developing the artificial intelligence and the software to improve the control of the system. So as in that sense, it's probably a much more sophisticated and requires a lot more process control than many other systems where people are looking at static systems where they need to see what's going on on the static trays and then physically move them and about. And this is a much more controllable process, but you've got to give the instruction as to when to move things to location A or B. So we have changed and we've seen the benefit of being able to think expansively about the range of products and not just be focused. So the change has been one that we now want to be a global company. We're talking to people around the world. We've patented our technology in North America. They're approved in Canada, waiting on America, Singapore, India, Europe, the UK, Australia. And what people need in these different countries are very different. The partners we've developed, I mentioned partners like Siemens. We are working with some international automation stroke integration companies, also working with a number of LED lighting companies. And we would like to influence some of these companies in their thinking of the products that they're developing, which would be more beneficial to the climate, to the world, if they use Grow Pure technology. And so that's our challenge is to persuade other companies to recognize the significant cash and capital benefits of our technology and the energy benefits. And therefore, they start to develop around that technology and work with us to aggressively implement this technology around the world for the wide variety of products that are required from this technology. I mean, if you take a piece of data which says, if you could grow all the crops that were possible in the world, you'd solve the food problem easily because you'd only need less than 1% of the current world's growing earth land. You'd only need less than 1%. Of course, we can't grow all those crops and they're not always cost-effective. So we've, we've got to widen that band. But I think what we what it starts to do is it starts to make people think about how you use the land in the world and how... You know, considering a world where we've chopped down all the trees for some reason, and now we want to replant all the trees, and unfortunately, trees don't grow quickly, do they? And so the speed at which you can make an impact is incredibly slow. And so how we use the land is a really, you know, is it leisure or is it housing or is it commercial? What do we do with the world and how do we preserve it for the future? Because if people think that the Climate change is, you know, you talk about one, one and a half percent degrees C and these impacts. Of course, these impacts, that's the average. And it doesn't deal with the ups and downs and the extreme 
weathers that we get. And, you know, when you're thinking about the temperatures in, and I'm sure the USA has temperatures in much more in excess of this, but you think of Spain hitting 30 degrees C plus in April, what do people think the temperatures are going to be like in July and August? And who wants to live in those temperatures in July and August? And of course, if you've got air conditioning and all that, that's fantastic. But if you haven't got the energy, air conditioning doesn't kind of work. So yeah, the world's going to have to change. And vertical farming does have to get over some problems because it would be crass to think that vertical farming was a panacea. It would be crass to think that vertical farming companies haven't had significant challenges and they have and a number of companies have suffered enormously and we would say if they had taken a slower approach because we've taken a slower approach and thought more about the technology and what you're trying to achieve rather than thinking it's simplistic then maybe the problems would not have been as extreme as they were every time we looked at the approach we were looking and we recognized a number of things. First of all, that you needed to develop technology that was capital efficient. So we were looking at sweating all the assets. We also recognized that the to make food affordable, that you need to do it at volume. So if you, you know, a traditional grows and they send the product to somebody else to deal with, all they have to do is harvest it. Once you've got a building where you're harvesting it and you might as well pack it and you might as well distribute it, you've got to be doing it at volume. And if you don't do it at volume, you're giving away a significant margin to somebody else in the game. Mm. And yeah. so and you don't control the end customer. And yeah. so that's why we always thought about high volume and in, in intensification. And we always recognized that it was the packing and the which needed space. And the dynamics are very different to the growing area. And so that's where we're at. How has your vision for what was needed for the company, the skill sets you've had to call to bear as CEO, how has that changed as you've watched the industry change, as you've gained experience about the industry over the past 10 years or so? I think that the commercial challenges are I mean, commercial challenges because we changed from being a grower into a technology solutions provider. But the commercial challenges are quite significant. I think people used to tell me that vertical farmers didn't understand retailers, and therefore they'd rather deal with somebody who was an existing provider, and that probably influenced our thinking into going into becoming a technology provider, solutions provider. I think that yeah, we recognise that we needed to develop different kind of horticulturalists because whilst understanding how plants grow in existing technologies, this is new technology. And getting people to get their mind around the new technology, this is a big challenge. And so finding the right people is key. I think the one thing I've been delighted with is the fact that most of the partner companies that we talk to actually really love the technology and they want to be involved. So we have people who've worked for technology partners who have, for whatever reason, moved on to new roles and they still want to maintain the relationship with Grow Pura. And they obviously are intelligent people and they've obviously looked at vertical farming in other parts of the world 
And so they obviously recognize there's some difference. And in one of our partners has told us that we're in their partners who've invested in vertical farming and tens of millions, not 50p. And they've told us that uh, we're at least two years ahead of the other vertical farming technology companies that they have looked at. And so in our approach to the next generation from today, our today's offering, people can already see why we're thinking like that and why we're moving forward in that particular way. Because the challenge is it's a big challenge. You know, this industry is going to be a large industry and is going to, despite short setbacks in some companies, it is going to accelerate away. It will, without a doubt. And more countries around the world are getting interested. You know, America, Canada were probably the first leaders. And the UK was, well, you know, one of the things I would say is the UK, I think we were one of the first companies to be formed in the UK focusing on vertical farming. And we've got our own approach and we can demonstrate how successful it is, both in use of foot space. So we can get more intensity in terms of trays or tray areas in a physical footprint than other technologies and that of course makes the overall the external building costs significantly cheaper and we have this i've explained the environmental the energy saving and we also with the automation we have other operational savings in terms of labor so it's quite a compelling technology What's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? What's well, a tough question? Oh, well, <laughs> probably many tough questions. It's You've got to be thinking about where the future lies and what are the products which should we develop? And yeah, I think that's a legal question. I think the second thing is to think about the funding backers for the business and getting the right funding backers for the business in order to take the business to its the next stage. And yeah, people are always the most important thing, aren't they? It's developing the people, it's selecting the right people and encouraging the right relationship with suppliers and customers and basically caring, demonstrating our care about the world and the planet. Better for people, better for the planet. You know, yeah. these are the kind of things that one must do in a company. You mentioned finding not only backers for these endeavors, but also you did mention right funding backers. So I'm curious how you think about who is ideal when you start to think about partnering. Most people will just chase any money regardless of the source. But I think in your experience, you found that's probably not the best solution. So I'm curious, given your experience in not only this industry, other industries, why it's important to partner with the right folks for when it comes to funding. I think it's clear that if you're a financial backer, you have different interests. So at some time, you want to take your money and run, possibly. And it depends what that time frame is. If someone wanted to make a quick buck in a year, then that would be a real difficulty. So you wanted people who have an interest in the sector you're in and the reason for being in that sector, the rationale for being in that sector. I think as a company, we would like to probably at some point go on to a public market because we want to make sure that we manage to preserve the entity in the longer term. And so we would be looking for debt investors where it's quite clear how you repay the debt and equity investors 
who share that vision. And if they share that vision, then they can help you to get to the point where you can actually float the company, whether on the New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ or London Stock Exchange, wherever. And yeah, they can make their return at whatever stage they want to. And rather than the company being pushed and forced into one activity or another. I think the other thing is to make sure that you're not pressurized by the wrong dynamic. So yeah. collecting those people, I think, is quite important. But you're right. It's always a balance, isn't it? You always need the money. And what we're interested in is developing a range of funding partners for our customers. Okay. Because quite clearly, this is a really, really interesting area where you can help people go into this industry, which is has a high capital cost barrier. And if you can find a solution based on the confidence in the returns they can make, whether it be using long-term money like pension funds to help people set up their farms, using a reputable technology, which is proven, this would be a really good way forward for people. Yeah, so many variables to think about. It's so interesting to see how the industry has been developing. So as we wrap up, I'm curious what your take has been on the overall industry, having been in the space early, seeing a lot of the folks entering the space, seeing folks raise a lot of money, not succeed, <laughs> ups and downs and excitement building around the industry. I'm curious about your take. I think it's probably been like many early stage businesses. I think I have been surprised by the number of people who were trying to work out how you can make this industry sustainable. One of the things we decided early on, and we could have gone down this track, was we decided early on not to end up supplying lots of restaurants. We could get a higher price because they'd have niche products and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And the reason we didn't do that was because you got on a treadmill and the treadmill is a difficult treadmill to get off. So you end up with lots of people who need lots of expensive distribution. And there are other people who are better able to deal with that than people like ourselves. So we would rather sell to a distributor of many vegetables and salad products and things like that, rather than being that, doing that company, that for ourselves and all the other issues. So yes, I was surprised by the way people went about it. And I was surprised at how long it took for people to work out that you needed to do it at scale in order to have a sustainable model. And when I started out, the gimmicky solutions around the world were unbelievable. And yes, you marketing, you know, love the sort of the skyscraper triangle and they're growing hundreds of feet high. Well, obviously, this is not sensible and not practical. These are relatively low-value crops, products. It's not like producing a car. So you can't, have, you can't have all these bells and whistles. You've got to be sensible. You're trying to produce food at an acceptable price. And so, yeah, I think I was surprised by that. And I was, I suppose, also surprised by the ease at which some companies managed to raise phenomenal amounts of money. Yeah. And then, yes, make some serious errors of judgment and probably on the other side people would say we were probably too rational 
And I think probably we were too rational and we should have been more flamboyant. But we are certainly going to be flamboyant now, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, slow and steady definitely seems to be winning the race is what, from what I've seen so far. So I applaud all your early entry and enthusiasm in this space. It's been almost like a bit of a, a history lesson in vertical farming, this conversation. So I know it's, our listeners are really going to get a lot out of it. So I appreciate you taking the time. And I'm just as excited for you for what the potential is for this industry and where we're headed. And I think hopefully sensible heads will prevail <laughs> making sensible decisions. So the website is growpura.com. Anywhere else you'd like to send folks to get more connected with you and or the company? Well, we're obviously on Instagram and we used LinkedIn. Um, so yes, look at the social media and we're trying to do more speaking engagements around the world so that people can hear about us, etc. We'd love to work with more universities in terms of getting them to adopt our technology in order for younger people, people starting out, to see how this can help them in their studies and development of further technology, which may be a benefit to us as well in terms of new product ideas and things you can do with plants. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And your team has provided all those links. We'll make sure all those links are available in the show notes as well. So if you're listening to this, you'll be able to just look in your podcast player and click on those. I really appreciate you taking the time, Nick, and I'm glad your team was able to coordinate this for us. Thank you very much indeed. Very kind of you. Thanks again for listening. As always, eternally grateful to my guests for spending that precious hour of time with me and sharing their story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There you'll find summaries, key takeaways, and resources mentioned and also a back catalog of all our past episodes. Special thanks to our title sponsor, AgTech Marketing Team. If you or your team have been struggling to come up with a comprehensive social media marketing plan and don't know where to begin, reach out to them today. With expertise in strategy, paid media, community management, content generation, influencer, and email marketing, their team can have you up and running in a fraction of the time it would take you to hire a full team and at a fraction of the cost. Learn more at agtechmarketingteam.com. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. To learn about the five key pillars of a successful podcast that every business owner needs to know prior to launching, visit fullcast.co and watch the free video. As a reminder, if you've enjoyed this episode or past episodes, do me a favor, leave me a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing makes me happier than to read those out on future episodes. And don't forget to tune in next week for a conversation with yet another fascinating leader from the world of vertical farming. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.